You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. You have made it to our second episode as the Mad Ones. We had Tho Bishop on this week. We had a good time and a good conversation. But unfortunately, he was away from his home, his microphone, and his regular internet. At the beginning and near the end, things get a bit off. But we were able to manage it for the most part. So let's get to this, and I hope you enjoy it. The only people for me are the mad ones. The ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved. Desirous of everything at the same time. The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but burn, 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 like fabulous yellow Roman candles exploding like spiders across the stars. Welcome to the mad ones. I'm your boy host, Cam Harless, and with me, as always, is your girl host, Miss Jessica Soupcan Green. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing, Jessica? I'm great. I'm (laughs) thrilled that I made it here. (laughs) I'm glad, too, because one of the things that apparently happened is we had a conversation uh, a couple of months ago, and I don't remember exactly how it got to this, but I'd said something about if you want to get out from under the depressing shit be a helper or something like that just one of those and you took me seriously and that i feel like that's the first time that's ever happened in my entire life (laughs) yeah my friend um who i my friend just had a baby and she has a toddler as well so i volunteered to come help them for the first two weeks of her transitioning back to work after her maternity leave and um i am tired in a way that i didn't know that a human being could be tired Um, But I could tell that I was very helpful to them. And um, my friend who uh, had the baby, she commented that although I didn't, I probably didn't know what I was volunteering for when I volunteered for it. You certainly did know what I was volunteering for. And you let me do it anyway. (laughs) Um, No, I'm I'm actually at the end of the two weeks now. And I think I'm really going to miss the kids um, like crazy when I leave. So. Well, that, that's, that's the fun thing is um, whatever you're experiencing it, like throw three more children at you. And that's me every day. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I knew that you had an inkling of what you were volunteering, what you were telling me to volunteer for. But I am glad that I did it because I could tell that I had I have helped. So that, made, yeah. that makes me feel pretty good about me. <laughs> well, I have a guest to introduce. But before I do that, I do feel like I should say welcome to our new show. Oh, thank you. That's a, <laughs> it's a lovely show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have put fun. I've put so much fun work into these video things, and I feel like I feel like I'm getting better at this, and I'm I'm happy with it. Yes. Uh, but without further ado, um, this week, uh, Soup Can and I are joined by a great Florida man. You may know his work from the Mises Institute, his podcast Radio Rothbard, or from his dank ass Twitter. It's the one and only Tho Bishop. How you doing? This is excited. This is gonna be fun. <laughs> That's the plan. There's there's so much going on in the world right now, and it's uh, you're one of the people on Twitter that I appreciate because it's such a different perspective, even from my own. Because I'm, you know, we're on the same page about a lot of stuff, but I'm not like a politics guy. Like I'm a I'm a reject politics guy, but I don't I don't like using labels, so I'm not going to be like well, I'm an agorist though. 
I just am what I am. <laughs> You'll get a whole bunch of uh, Konkin uh, memes thrown your way now. <laughs> it happens. It, apparently, if I gain five more pounds, I become an aggressor. <laughs> so uh, what's what, what's been going on with you? I hear you're you're in you're out of out of Florida for some reason. Yeah, yeah my, my I'm up actually in uh, Branson, Missouri, uh, which uh, you know it's, it's Branson good as a, and uh, you know well I mean you know, Austin Peterson had bragging about his governor for a while trying to to compare him to, to Ron DeSantis so I had to, <laughs> had to give it a little bit of a try. Uh, but my mom does gymnastics meets around the country and so I help her with some of those and so uh, she has one this weekend. So uh, we're, nice. we're up here, and uh, yes, it's uh, always enjoy it. It's a, it's a fun little town. Yeah. So yeah, glad to be up here. But it, it's it's far too cold. I mean, it's like you know, nineteen degrees, and I have to remind myself that people actually live voluntarily in this sort of weather. And I just you know, thins every sense of joy. My uh, proud Floridian. <laughs> I come from Michigan. If I never shovel snow again, it will be too soon. I cannot go above the Mason Dixon line. It's too Since you mentioned Ron DeSantis, one, I'm very happy to be where I am right now because at the beginning of the of the pandemic, we were living up in Pennsylvania. And so we you know, everything was going on. It was everything was kind of weird. And then it hit um what's the St. Patrick's Day last year, March 17th. I went to the liquor store. Famous then because I wanted to make an Irish car bomb. Of course. And as I was in there, the lady behind the counter was like, Oh, by the way, uh, this is our last day that's going to be open. And I was like, What? And and then I noticed that there were um, like, there's plywood, big pieces of plywood up near the window because they, after they closed, they boarded up the windows. And I was like, I'm not staying here. I'm out. I'm gone. And so we moved to Florida two weeks later. <laughs> Several people absolutely thought that we were crazy. But then uh, my friend Ryan, who runs Technowagers, we were all talking about moving in this area. And he was like, you know, if you feel like you need to go, you can. And then after I left and things started getting worse and worse in Pennsylvania, he was like, okay, no, you were right. I get it. I get what you did. <laughs> but you mentioned Ron DeSantis. I think probably the best thing I read this week was from the Super Bowl when some guy went up to him and asked him uh, why he wasn't wearing a mask. And he said, how am I supposed to drink my beer if I'm wearing a mask? (laughs) That is a very good answer (laughs) because it's quite hard. But what's interesting is that like Ron DeSantis has become a, a different person the last year. You know, it's kind of like a Dragon Ball Z where like, you know, the, you know, Saiyan gets beat up and he comes back stronger than ever. Like Ron DeSantis, I think, has really ascended as a politician um, by, you know, because he's nobody in America, outside of Trump, like nobody took more arrows from the press than DeSantis with the way they were they were attacking the, you know, opening up. Because it's a lot harder, it's a lot easier to do it if you're in South Dakota, not not to take do anything to, to, to take down or dismiss, you know, what uh, Christy Nome did up in South Dakota. Uh, but it's just the, the population of, of, South, of South Dakota is less than a million people. Florida is, you know, heaven's waiting room, right? There's my great aunt is right. 95. She hates taxes as she should. You know, very conservative person. But you know, even her, you know, she still relies upon cable news because she's 95 years old, and that's that's her top demographic. 
and and she was even falling into this you know she thought that there was bodies piling up in florida streets because of the way they depicted them and and so like the fact that he has really become charismatic and and can take it back and spend it on the media um because he was awful during it that 2018 primary was really interesting um because i, mean, I was a DeSantis fan relative to adam putnam the guy that he was running against was like the very worst republican out there you know, he, he this is a guy like he was he made became state representative was like 18 years old he was boy wonder you know, alex p keaton type went to congress voted for every stupid bill that was up there became agricultural commissioner which the only reason anyone becomes agricultural commissioner is to run for governor um, and then still managed to like try to shut down family farms, which is like the one thing you're you're not supposed to do in that position is not screw up. And and so, but he made you know, all the Bush families behind him, all the Rubio, basically the entire. If you were in politics in the state of Florida for longer than you know like two years, you were behind Putnam 100. And then in comes Ron DeSantis, runs a terrible campaign, gets three Donald Trump tweets, and he wins the state by 20 points. And like in that, you know, if 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 if, if Putnam had won that race. You know, we would not be having the free state of Florida right now. Mm. Um, and, and it's just it's interesting to see him evolve. I mean, I was having conversations with friends like in 2019, you know, where I, because I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a very sick freak when it comes to politics. And I was in, you know, when I was in uh, when I was in sixth grade, I got a co- signed copy of the O'Reilly Factor from Christmas. OK, like, again, this is a very dark side of my past. Um, so like this is I just I love this this aspect of it, even when I hate, you know, even as much as I hate politicians in general. Um, and so we were talking about, you know, like, oh, who's going to run 2019, 2019. And, you know, I was dismissing DeSantis for having any chance because he had no personality. And mm-hmm. now, you know, he everybody's looking for him. And so, again, it's he has become a different person. And, and you know, I've become, you know, it's, it's so weird as someone who, you know, as a Rothbardian to take pride in your your, your, your government. Right. Right. But like I'm, I'm it is it is the way that DeSantis continues to be so strong on this issue and push back on a lot of stuff where it'd be so easy to cave. Um, you know, it's, it's very, there's no single biggest issue that has changed the quality of life for you and me. than that one election right now, that's the difference between us. And I mean, even yep. up in Alabama, um, you know, it's not as quite as bad. It's not in New York. It's not a, not a New Jersey, but it's, it is nothing like it is in Florida. And it's just, it's, you know, I, I, I will always be appreciative of that because it could have been so much worse. <laughs> I think yeah. I think about that every day. I live in Georgia, which isn't much different than Florida in terms of how our restrictions have been. And I think about the fact that there are people who haven't really like been out of their homes for nearly a year to do anything, <clears throat> anything else except for get supplies. And it has worn on them psychologically. And that is a great, uh, a, a larger number than the number of people who are living like we do right now. And it's easy to forget that when you are able to sort of move around freely. But, you know, I try to not forget that people are in the country, in my own country, are living in those conditions now. And, yeah, yeah, it's important not to forget it, even though we are very lucky. (laughs) Well, that was the cool thing about Ron DeSantis is I live in central Florida um, to be, you know, vague because I don't know why I am. (laughs) There you go. Um, They're coming for you, Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I live here. And when when we got down here was when stuff started happening. And they started doing some of the COVID restrictions, but it was all like local. And so mm-hmm. the city that I live in said that there was a mask mandate and that you could get fined and all of this. And what I loved was that Ron DeSantis was just like, no, 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 fuck that. You're not getting fined. They can't enforce their laws. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is I wasn't really interested in following them anyway, but it's nice to know that, you know, they're not going to 
send cops that are going to shoot at me if I if I yeah. disobey now. Right. <laughs> he's taking a lot of flack for that too. Um, you know, they they've tried to uh, to attack in a few different ways, and he's 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 stayed on it because like that's always that's kind of the, the easy cop out issue, right? And and I, I think this was you know this was kind of like Trump's main motivation for you know like his federalist approach to COVID because it's like you know he- heads I win. And, um, you know, this, this whole thing goes away um, or, or, or tails. I can I have someone else to blame. Right. I, I think that's a, a large motivating factor for like letting the governor's state take the lead on it. And then um, this is kind of getting the way a lot of the, the other other state panel. Went. And, uh, you know, he's gone after it hard. And then, of course, my boy, Sab- Anthony Sabatini, who's up in the Lake County, a little bit north of Orlando. He, he was great because even even in the early like the, the I think like the first six weeks, you know, DeSantis did the lockdowns. Um, you know, they were trying to use Halle uh, uh, shares and the, the um, uh, regulatory board was really going, especially bars were, were really, you know, hardly affected. I had a, um, you know, I've, I've, I know several bar owners and they were just, you know, being completely destroyed. Um, and um, that, uh, uh, you know, he, he, it's, it's the fact that he's, he's actually, and, and of course it, it creates, you know, some, some very interesting theoretical points about local government, right? As, as a politically decentralist, you know, sort of guy, you know, it's like, oh, well, do I want the governor to be able to prevent uh, this? Like, in, in this case, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll worry about that debate later. We can have that with Walter Block and the, uh, the Journal of Libertarian Studies. Uh, uh, yeah, right, right now, I'm very appreciative because it's really interesting. It's like up in the panhandle, like, I mean, we're basically Southern Alabama, right? You know, theoretically, like we should be, you know, the, the most rabidly anti-lockdown of them all because we are like peak, you know, it, it's this wonderful mix of, you know, surf bum and redneck. And it just, I, I love the panhandle. It's a great That's place. so accurate. And, and, but like, what's crazy is that like our, the Panama City Beach government, which, which like, again, like our, our, our county, just to put it in perspective politically, our county was a plus 43 county uh, pro-Trump. So I was like 70, wow. you know, 73, yeah, uh, 30, right? And then, or yeah, whatever it makes it out to be. Um, I'm not sure. I don't do math. And, um, and then like they, Panama City Beach was like four points higher than that. And yet we still had a city council that was like one of the first in the panhandle to put in place a, a mask mandate. And it's like, this is cr- like, and, and what's really scary. And this is one of the things that, again, like I, I Jeff Dice gave a talk in, in Panama City. And it kind of made me thinking about this in, in a different sort of way, because like it's it's one, one of my big uh, uh, personal changes in 2020 was, was finding uh, an appreciation for democracy. I, I, I don't worship it, right? You, know, I, you, know, you don't worship the state, you know, you know no, no ideology there. But, but what I do think is, is interesting is, is a, one potential benefit of democracy is it is a working class check on out-of-touch elites. Um, and and that's, that's democracy in its best sense. And there's, there's, there's obviously ways for it to be abused, but like an American tradition of populism, there's always been this very interesting um, uh, tradition in this, the Jackson, the, the Jeffersonians, the Jacksonians, the Bourbon Democrats, you know, all this very interesting stuff. Ryan McMakin and I have had a lot of fun nerding out about it. Um, but like, here is a case where, where like the people didn't want it, but we had a, a city government that is so concerned about not their constituents, but about um, corporate power. You know, they're trying to get that that big corporate business to invest in Panama City Beach, or they're trying to get those those big convention events. 
And and so like you had this very interesting and also our city manager was from Colorado. He was from Panama City. Got nothing against Colorado per se, but it's just a Panama City Beach people. We stay in on a category five hurricane, regardless <laughs> of whether that's wise or not. Colorado is a little bit different <laughs> culturally, right? They're not Florida. Right. And sure. um, and so like th- this. So, you know, they got so much of a pushback from the voters in this case. And, and like, it, you started getting organization on it that luckily that, that you know, they, they repealed it right before DeSantis put them down. But like it's. You know, even even like some of these ready red red districts, because their interests were not on really the the norms of situ- the constituency, it had been so easy for because as you still have this in Florida in some of the you know it's it's the it's the large corporate chains that are the mm-hmm. most enforcing of the masks and things like that. Oh sure, so, yeah. Interesting ways that that could have even affected the policy standpoint. Um, and again, so that's why like with DeSantis' stuff, I think is is you know another reason why I'm, I'm very uh, uncharacteristically proud of. Uh, who I personally consider my president right now. <laughs> so, so I do, I do think you make the, an interesting case for decentralization of the country because we're talking about the way that Colorado and Florida are basic or Panama City at least are basically two different countries, two different types of people, two different values who would be very probably very happy to trade with each other, but um, don't necessarily need to live under the same laws. And so when you have corporate interests, basically trying like Walmart, for example, is definitely somebody who's like benefiting a lot from these lockdowns because the mom and pop stores that do all the things that Walmart also does, they're being forced to close. But corporate interests, which have a way of sort of um, homogenizing everything, like the way McDonald's sort of homogenized the potato industry. I know I'm getting way off track here, but (laughs) I think that corporate interests do have a way of homogenizing things, including the types of mandates that we're going to live under especially if those interests are, um, you know, given a uh, ear in the government or given a seat at the table in government, which is ultimately the problem when the corporate interest and the government sort of marry each other. And that's what we have now. And so I'm not sure that I think that um, democracy does present a check on that because, you know, yeah, we get to vote between Walmart's interest or, uh, targets interest. You know what I mean? It's not exactly like we're getting the opportunity to throw out the corporate interest when we vote. So, um, and I, I, I always, when I, I talk to somebody who wants to go through the, the populist route, but also seems to lean toward like anarchist philosophy, I wonder how you don't get like, um, I don't know, totally run down and feel like this is like a hopeless fight. You know what I mean? Like, how do you stay positive that this can create change well one of the things that's really benefited me is, is that for one like is i i you know again because of, i i was so politically active and, and you know before i became an austrian and before i got interested in all this okay. sort of stuff like you know i've i've i i think a lot of people are are missing like how radicalized like boomer typical republicans are are becoming right now like and this is where like i this is why like i, I love the trump years like you, you know I, I will gladly wave my Trump flag because like it, it, you know, it, it's not because he was great on policy. Like, you know, I, I was not surprised at all that he didn't that he failed to, to pardon Snowden and, and Assange right. and all those little things. You know, if, if any one of those would have would have completely changed his legacy from that standpoint would have been wonderful. But like, I, I never expected Trump to be good. Mm-hmm. I just Trump expected Trump to piss off the right people. Right. And anything that was a, a positive was just, you know, you know, candy on top. And and but one of the things is that like I have a normal conversations with people that are like Rick Santorum fans, 
yeah. right? Or, yeah. or, um, or, or new Gingrich people, or, or, I mean, some of them are, I mean, yeah, they, you, people that love Mitt Romney, that, that volunteered for Mitt Romney in the primaries that now hate the man's guts because <laughs> of the Tell fact it. of, you know, because of the opposition to Trump, because, because what they view Trump as more than anything else was as kind of, you know, Trump was, there's like the, the, like the Patronus and Harry Potter, right? Like that, 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 you know, fed off all the, all the evil spirits. Like that's what they yeah. view Trump is. Yeah, they, they, they view Trump as their shield politically from all of these various people that despise them. And, and I think they're right in that perspective. I, I think that they might've, you know, their, 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 their view of Trump, I think it's a bit of a meme, but that's fine. I, there's the power of that. And um, so what you, what you have right now is, you know, so, so they hate, I mean, I, I've had you know, conversations, with, you know, they want to get rid of the FBI. And, you know, regardless, you know, maybe it's not because they think the FBI, we don't need a national law enforcement agency or whatever. It's because the FBI went against Trump. Okay. But they recognize that because the FBI took down Trump, it could also go against them. Right. Um, yeah. And obviously everything after January 6th is big on this regard. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they question the CIA. They're questioning the generals. I mean, the amount of people that, that went that turned on Mad Dog Mattis, who was the closest, you know, the, the general with the best PR firm in modern American history, um, you know, that turned around right there because Trump, like Trump's ability to change the way that people perceive um, individual figures in our institutions is, is such a powerful and significant, you know, you're not going to get any good policy from D.C. anyway. Like mm-hmm. that perception mm-hmm. change is so big. And so like, that's where I think the populist issue has been, you know, we're, we're, we're able to get so many people who are, who recognize who the right enemies are. They're not right there on the solutions, but they're recognizing the right enemies are in a way that's so different. Again, yeah, I mean, you, you okay. might have, if, if, if you have literally over 50 million people in this country believe that Joe Biden was not democratically elected. Mm-hmm. Like that, mm-hmm. that is, that is massive. We've never dealt with that, that degree of political illegitimacy baked into the system. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, now again, like, but that's that's why you know, d- democracy doesn't solve this right by itself, especially in a country as large as the U.S. Right, democracy is not meant to deal with three, you know, three hundred thirty million people in a multi-ethnic, multinational, multicultural state. Um, and I mean, that's where, like, like and, and this this is where like, I think it's really really cool right now. And this is why, like, you know, I, I like having the conversations about the political side of things. It's because, like, you know, there's been all this very in, you know interesting right-wing thought on like the you know the, the neo-reactionaries and the mole bug mm-hmm. stuff and the new right stuff and michael malice and all that sort of stuff and, and i think what's kind of cool is that like you know I'm, I'm reading through this stuff and and you know i'm not gonna say that i'm 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 you know i haven't read like curtis yarvin but like you know i've, I've been you know, trying to, to absorb this stuff for the last few years sure, sure. there's not a lot of contributions i think that you get from these these thinkers as great as they are that you don't get from like austrian works you know, and, 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 and I think that that's what I, what I find so, you know, like I've, I've been really getting big in like Rothbard's political strategy stuff. Um, but like also like Mises, you know, like it, Mises' understanding of democracy, I think is very good. Mises' nation, state, and economy goes into a lot of the problems of this, um, the way that democracy ends up becoming this, this politics by other means. Um, yeah, yeah, Mises' analysis of Nazi Germany was kind of, there's so many of like the cathedral sort of aspects and and the, the progressive takeover of America. Like he mm-hmm. outlines that in the lead up to like the the, the, you know, the rise of Hitlerism, as he calls it, in Germany, the way the Nazis were, you know, the, the German people were using the language of the Nazis before the Nazis took on power. And right. so they'd already built in all the assumptions of like Nazi policies from that. And like and, and so that's where like these conversations, it's it's such an interesting time, I think. Interesting not always good. I mean all this could be could get really, really bad. Um, and we, we should be blind to that. But like, it's just a very interesting time where there's so much disruption. And, mm-hmm. and it's not just kind of weird online circles where people like us, where, like, where, we, where we enjoy kind of 
you know, we, 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 we're not afraid of, of, you know, getting into, you know, niche stocks and, 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 you know, seriously considering anarchy and things like that. But like, sure, it's, sure. It's, it's Fox news viewers that are having sort of conversation. Yeah. And like, and that's what I find very interesting. And, and that's, that's where you know, the amount of traffic, like, you know, we're, we're not living in a world like Lou Rockwell.com better describes your average Republican voter than Fox news.com. And again, mm-hmm. I guess the, I, that's why I think this is the best timeline to be alive right now. Well, and, and that's one of those things that I, I did want to mention is, you know, you do work with the Mises Institute, which is the intellectual powerhouse behind libertarian and anarchist, like true, I'd say true anarchist, but, you know, like right anarchist thought. And it's, it's, I think one of my favorite things about Lou Rockwell was, um, if I'm remembering correctly, the New York Times tried to go to the Mises Institute in order to write a, a smear on them and lou rockwell told them to get out because they're just the enemy and i'm like mm, lou i love you <laughs> <laughs> but that's one of the fun things about for some at this point in time because i deeply despise the lp with my whole being like that's that's me i i can't imagine a bigger waste of time ever um, but, or money, like some, some people that are put just pumping money monthly into the LP, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But, um, also it's a CIA front, but when, for some reason at this point in history, when you attach Mises's name to things, I, it's, it's par for the course really, but you become a racist. So like Dave Smith is a racist. Tom Woods is a racist or Tom, was it someone called Dave Smith a Nazi? And I was like, he's a Jew. <laughs> but the, and it started like the, the calling people in that circle racist started with Ron Paul. And he was my gateway into this world. And Michael Malice has kind of opened the horizons since then. There was a, a stint of Tom Woods, of course, because everyone has everyone with a brain in this movement has listened to some Tom Woods, probably a lot of Tom Woods, but you know, my brain has gone more towards the, the, like I said, somewhat agorist, the Harry Brown thought of, you know, living free in an unfree world rather than the, I love the politics, but I love watching it and mocking it and making fun of it, which is, that's what my favorite thing about Trump is, is how much he delegitimized the office of the presidency in so many people's eyes. That is I think probably his greatest contribution to the United States government. Um, But here, I do have a question for you though. Um, If there were two candidates running for office, which one would you run for? Would you vote for an anti-racist who promises to continue the wars in the middle East or a guy who would end every war on his first day, but didn't want his daughter to date a minority. Yeah, I, I think uh, in the name of defending minorities, I think I'm going to go with the, the second one right there. Yeah, it's, it's, uh... <laughs> but, but of course, but this, this is the way that they've always, you know, the, you know, the, the attacks on, you know, it, I, I know this has come up on Twitter a lot. It's like, you know, there's just not a lot of people that have in the anti-war movement throughout American history that have not been slurred mm-hmm. with all this yeah. stuff. This is true. And, 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 and it gets, it's, it's really infuriating. Like the, the, the attacks on Lou in particular is, is something that really bothers me. Um, uh, you, you know, like it's because, it, you know, it, it, if, if you care about liberty at all, I, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't care if you, if, if you hate 
you know, LRC. I don't care if you don't even like, you know, if, if you hate uh, Rothbard even, um, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, if the ideas of Lewis von Mises would have been forgotten today, if it wasn't for Lou Rockwell, like the, 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 yeah. the, his ability, sure. you know, I, I think that, that there's really two uniquely uh, uh, indispensable figures within the American libertarian movement from the intellectual side of things. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's Leonard Reed and it is Lou Rockwell precisely because they played the very rare middle role of, I mean, Lou's obviously you know, like Leonard Reed, you know, they both have created a lot of great intellectual content in this regard. Mm-hmm. But it's the ability of building institutions that support and promote those ideas. Because they, simply great ideas in a vacuum don't matter. It's just it's the same sort of stuff that you know when Mises talks about you know where our understanding of, of the way the market works, right? Your subjective value. Right? You you can, you can build a great product, but if you don't have the marketing behind it, if the consumers don't get it, then it doesn't matter, right? Um, so, you know, all value is subjective. It's, it's you know what others receive from it, and like that was. And, you know, so that's what Lou, Lou has been able to do is create something. So, I mean, you know, without any billionaire funding, without any of that sort of stuff, like he, he's created an anti-fragile organization. It's precisely because it is so anti-fragile that allows us to be as hardcore as we've always been. Right. There's not that one donor who yeah, if you fit that one donor, everything goes away. Right. That's that's you know, we've never had that issue. And mm-hmm. and it, he is and, and you meet in, per, in person. He's the, he's the greatest gentleman in the world. And it's it's you know, the barbs that are thrown at him is, is just is, is absolutely, you know, they, they're all horrible people. They, they're all just this inferior human beings to who the rock will is. Um, but, you know, it's just it's incredible to see all this, uh, this, this hostility and, and anger build up and, and see it in person. It's, uh, it's one of my my my, my definitely one of my uh, sore points right there. But uh, but yeah, it is to see if they play out. One thing I think is interesting is that the clarion call of the Libertarian Party is that we need to make it accessible, accessible, accessible. And that's the thing that the Mises Institute definitely does is make a lot of this material accessible for free. So the slandering of them for making libertarian ideas uh, free to anyone who wants to access them as well as a person like Lou Rockwell and the amazing website that he's created. Someone like me who came from the left and didn't know anything about any of the um, internal politics of libertarianism found those resources incredible. And um, definitely uh, I, I find their claims of racism and all of these things to be very interesting because as someone who came from the left and would have been ultra sensitive to those types of things, never in any of the content that I've accessed from the Mises Institute or from Lou Rockwell, have I ever come across anything that remotely smacked of racism? And so I find that um, like a ridiculous claim, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that one of the um, one of the interesting aspects of that is that you know when we talk about trying to make these ideas as widely accessible as, as to people as possible, I, I think there's kind of two different approaches here, right? Like. You know, the Mises who try to make makes our content free and, and, you know, we have so much out there or whatever. But what we don't do is try to water it down, right? right? right. We, we don't yeah. try yeah. To, to jump on fads and we don't try to, you know, like, you know, if, if you come to the Institute, like, you, you might not like what you get. That's that's fine. Mm-hmm. But, like, we're, you know, and, and you know, and it's, and it's not that we're, we're going to just throw, like, an 800-pound book at you. Right? That's, that's a not violation right there anyway. But, you well, know, man, man economy and state is pretty big, to be honest. You can work your way up, right? But we, we, yeah. we've got articles, we've got, you know, we've got shorter pieces, and you can work your way up. And we try to, we ha- try to have different levels, and you can work, your, but we don't try to water it right. down. 
And I, and I think that's the issue of the LP is that they try to jump on these fads and they try to, you know, and, and it's, it's also, I think there, there is something to be said about, like, there's, there's, there's two very different, you know, I, uh, Brian Doherty at one point talked about how you know, there's, there's kind of two different types of libertarianism. There's one is the, the strong property rights side of things. And the other one is like the nicetarian sort of yeah. idea where like it, it's, it's mainly about tolerance and it's about, you know, I think Nick Gillespie during a debate with Dave Smith on postmodernism said that he viewed libertarianism as like the defense of alternative lifestyles. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, like, you know, you're gonna, you, you have your property, you live where you were like, but like, that's not, it's not a positive, like that's, that's not the main sort of a point of libertarianism. I think it's, a, sure. it's, a ideology. it's just a, kind of a byproduct. And, um, and so like, I do think there's a, there's a, there's a genuine substantive difference there that I think is being played out the more that people battle over the term. But the problem mm-hmm. is that most of this battle, I, it goes into this LP stuff, which as far as I can tell you, the, the real focus of the LP is to allow people to take Facebook libertarian debates in the real world right. and, and, you know, and, and spend money at it, which again, it's fine. If that's, if, you know, yeah, subjective value. I don't, you know, like you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's your higher, you know, highest form of, of spending your capital, fine, more, more power mm-hmm. to you. But like, I, it's just not, I, 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 what I think though is, is don't confuse that for like politics really is. Uh, you know, exactly. pol- politics is, is coalition building. It's building, you know, it, it, you know, winning, you know, in an electoral matter, getting the most votes, period, right? I, I think mm-hmm. Nick is actually really right about that in his debate with Dave, right? Like, the, the part of the LP is just simply to count votes. He's correct. Like, that's that's what a political party does, to count votes. It's not to educate. Other institutions okay. do that. Um, okay. But, but like, there's a lot of, like, that's where I, I think there's a lot of that debate, you know, ultimately, we're not, you know, it's not a united message. Like, your, your priority, there are different priorities there. And again, that's fine. It doesn't make you know. That's that's perfectly you know. This, this, you know, we don't have to. We don't have to be on the same same team. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, there, there's some differences there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I want to point out that that question that I asked you. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but uh, there's a guy named Richie Castaldo that ran for something in the LP. And what's funny about this guy is that his wife ran a Twitter account called Libertarians for Biden. And when oh, she saw ran, that. yeah, so when <laughs> she ran this account, um, someone had asked her, "Who do you um, endorse for these different areas?" And she said, in her own area where her husband was running, she named the Democrat instead of her husband to tell people to vote for. And I, oh, I laughed so <laughs> much when I learned that, um, but. <laughs> Uh, he was that Richie guy was on Twitter calling because there are all these 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 nerds out there that are these very thick libertarians who only care about the fads. And I think I'm saying that right, because I, I believe thin is what we are. <laughs> but but um, yeah, so he was calling Dave a racist and a sex sex offender protector or something because of the Young Americans yeah, for Liberty thing. And so he, someone asked yeah. him that question, and he said that he would rather have an anti-racist that continued all of the wars in the Middle East than to have someone who would end all of the wars tomorrow who doesn't like the idea of her, his daughter dating a minority. Yes, yeah, so, so I, I was trying to figure out exactly who this guy was because, I, yeah, as with most of these people, I don't, I, you know, I'm usually one of the last ones to, to see them. Um, I, I didn't realize that, that I, I saw the Libertarians for Biden account, so I, but I didn't know that backstory there. So I, I think there's a word that would that would fit that relationship there. That starts, yes. you know, popular on, in the online circles for a, for a few a few years. But I was trying to figure out who this guy, who, who in the world this guy was, because like, he was trying to like represent him because he had like a blue check mark on him. So it makes sense that he's ran for office in LP. I didn't know like if he, he, you know he's, he's a big like you know 
what like a, a Snyder cut like Justice League guy. So I was trying to figure out like, is there like a, a you know yeah, DC? He was, he's like DC Comics in his Twitter account. So I was like, is there some like loser brigade guy that's writing comics for DC? I mean, what's the price of the industry right now? But uh, it's it definitely fallen since the, from the days where uh, the, the '90s they had a, a Berlin Batman story with uh, Louis von Mises being uh, harassed by the Nazis and being saved by Batman. Um, you know, that is not the current state of the comic book industry. But okay, I, I didn't know that backstory though. You, you filled me in. I, I saw some of the drama on that, but uh, <laughs> I, I did not know the full the full story there. Well, see, I, the only reason I learn these things is because somehow within the Twitter world, I've become aligned. Like I made a joke um, right after the election this last year that uh, all these Biden people need to be bullied. And so, you know, I, I brought out old things and then apparently several other people had the same idea at the same time. And so there's this weird little bully brigade that i'm in and so like we see this stuff and we just pounce uh i don't think i don't think jessica knew that but yeah so i, I bully people online for the fun of it <laughs> i am not in the bully brigade <laughs> fyi <laughs> i am nice it's better to be in the bully brigade than the loser brigade from what i can that's tell. true that's um, true let me ask you something though though because this is something like when it comes to the Mises Institute and all of that, all the, the racist smears, a lot of them come from uh, like it seemed like the, the real big push at the beginning was the Ron Paul newsletters. And that's something that's been blamed on Lou. And I don't know if I've ever heard like I, I, I wouldn't imagine that Ron Paul wrote them. And I knowing what I know of Lou, it doesn't sound like Lou. But I don't know. Do you have any insight on that? Well, the, the interesting thing about like the the their attacks on Lou with that is that uh, uh, a few years ago I went back and I looked at some of those original articles. I was like Julian Sanchez, I think, was one of the writers that um, did some of that, and and like they referenced that oh well Lou's name was as an editor on like Ron's newsletter products, and like and that was true, but it wasn't for I think it was the Survival Report is where the you know the edgy content was at. But like yeah. Lou, Lou was like an editor for like the investment newsletter, which would make sense because he was in, you know like, you know you, you know Austrian economics and things like that. Fine, um, but no, I, I uh, you know I, I, I've heard from many people that it was, it was definitely not Lou that was the author there. I've heard yeah, uh, I, I've heard some different names attached to it. I don't know no no none of them more came from from people that saw firsthand. I don't want to throw names out there unjustly yeah. in that that side of things. Um, but, but what was interesting is that, you know, the, the, the biggest drums that were using that as a cudgel against Lou, you know, is the reason crowd, you know, it's people that yeah. were selling personal scores. And, and I think that's, this has to do with a lot of these attacks in general. Um, in, in particular, I think the attacks on Murray, you know, yeah. is kind of lumped in with Lou is that, you know, what, what starts off is battles of, I think, genuine ideological difference right mm -hmm. that then become wrapped into personal issues in part because like you know you think about the way the libertarian movement used to be you know this was, was a relatively small movement we're dealing with with large personalities in the first place right because it, it, it you attract yeah. you know weird ideas which you know in the mainstream thing we were we're weird we attract weird personalities i think the two you know i, I think it's and when you care when you genuinely care about this stuff like for example when, when steve horowitz goes after and attacks, you know, the Institute calling every name in the book. Like, I, I think, I think 
Horowitz is a mediocre mind. I think he's a bad, bad economist. I think that his views on libertarianism are, are ridiculous or are, are, are flawed. I mean, ridiculous overstatement, but flawed. Um, but I think that he genuinely cares about it. I think that he thinks that his ideas would make the world a better place. And I think that there's a natural kind of, you know, compulsion that we have that, you know, when we think that we're on the right side, you view them as corrupting it. It kind of justifies in your head being able to go out there and throw as many personal attacks out there and assume the worst because mm-hmm. you take this stuff so seriously. And I think that's been something that kind of has allowed for a lot of escalation and some of this petty stuff within the movement. Um, the good thing is that uh, is that not everyone's a racist anyway, right? You know, you know now for, for all of it, and, and that's what I think there's kind of a strategic play by a lot of like the, the George Mason crowd. And I don't, again, I'm using these as, in terms of kind of broad factions. And I, I'm not trying to Chris coin. There's also the great people at Mason, but then I think there's always kind of a tendency to to be able to say like, oh, we're not like those crazy people in Auburn, Alabama, and and it's like it was kind of def- a defensive thing as well. Um, now that you have the crazy left that has uh, you know gone after uh, you know, James Buchanan and Milton mm-hmm. Friedman and attacking these people in in the same exact way that they've attacked Rothbard and Lou and Hans Hermann Hoppe and things like that, I think that has actually been very beneficial to us in its own way because like basically it's just a na- if, when everyone's a racist, nobody's a racist, right? So right. I, I think. It, yeah. You know, anybody that's not on the left and is therefore just going to assume that, I think now when they hear those same attacks being used by libertarians, you know, there's, there's, you know, you're, you're, you're now your ears pick up like, oh, well, is this really real or not? And then as long as anyone that goes a little bit deeper, I think recognizes it for the bullshit that it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that's been one of the interesting ways, where, like the new left sort of conspiracy history has actually been very interesting in that regard. And, and, and we one last point on this is, is that like, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of thankful for it because like if, if you'd have had the left, if, if they would have aligned themselves with those boilerplate attacks, and especially like, like the Washington Post, team, like in 2015, they published an article saying like, where did where did John, Donald Trump get his racist rhetoric? Oh, it's from those libertarians, like Murray Rothbard. It's like you know, there were some people out there. So it's like it's kind of even baked into the mainstream in that. And like if, if the left and like if, if the Nancy McLean, the uh, Quinn Slobodian has written this book on, he's done some work on this. If these leftist intellectuals would have kind of gone along with this libertarian narrative. I think it really kind of would have had the potential of really damaging the Institute, not from a donor perspective, right? Not from like a reader perspective, but mm-hmm. from like it's from a, a, a you're know, hurting the sort of talent that we could attract from like the academic standpoint, because we are, you know, we're, we're an active research center. We do have PhD students that come and do internships and do, do work. And we got some great, great minds. Like that's one of the cool, really, really cool things. But when I, you know, six plus years that I've been at the Institute, seeing the young Austrian scholars rising up, if, if they would have like, that that I, I I think about a lot, like the, the damage that could have potentially done. But luckily, now we don't have to worry about that at all. It's, it's, it's James Buchanan, who had very few like very like interesting thoughts. If, if he's now a thought criminal, then uh, then we all are anyway. So we've got, <laughs> yeah. we've got to embrace it. I have a theory about people who use racism as an accusation. They know that the person that they're calling a racist is not one. Like you would not. It's the worst thing you can be in our society. And people will bend over backwards to avoid being called a racist. So you use it because you know you can kind of twist the arm of the person that you're accusing. Because now they've got to play defense and, and prove in some way that they're not a racist. And so it's like, I've never heard of an overarching power structure that no one in our society wants to be associated with. 
So I think it's just like this, like you said, like a cudgel that people use. Yeah, and that's where like I get, like I think yeah. we're that, that's why like the the LP like the the folks the, the fixation like the Black Lives Matter like the anti racism stuff mm -hmm. became mm -hmm. such a big deal because like you, you you were instantly buying into this false narrative of that America is a systemically racist white supremacist country. Right. And because like ultimately what that what they're trying to do, you know, within a lot of that stuff is it's an, it's an attack on like the, the American you know, political institutions and the, the history there and all the interesting stuff. And it's like, yeah, you, you know, if, if once you start buying into that message, then if you're defending on it, then you're losing already. And mm -hmm. that's where I get where, where again, Trump not a libertarian, Trump a lot of bad policies. But like, there's a lot to learn from Trump's strategy there. Where like, you know, if if they attack you, then you 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 know, you punch them back like ten times harder. And then that's yeah. that's where like someone like Dave Smith, you know, is is so good, right? Where we're mm -hmm. doing, and, and that's where like yeah, having him, and and like that, that's that's one of the great, really cool things. The Institute is again, I started in 2015. In the last few years, you know, since I started, all the cool libertarian figures are on our side now. You know, the Eric Julies, you know, Dave, you know, Malice. Um, uh, you know, like there's, you know, we've got like the interesting culture figures right. in the movement. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they've, they've adapted, you know, they, they've kind of naturally, you know, adapted that strategy. And, and, and that's where, again, where, where politics becomes a lot more interesting. Whereas again, like the, the debates aren't necessarily on that level of substance that we want, but mm -hmm. like, I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'll, I'll defend Marjorie Taylor Greene to, for, you know, for, as long as she keeps uh, saying anti-war rhetoric, because like, you know, once you start like, you know, there's, there's like, like John Thune from like South Dakota. He's like, oh, like you know, uh, uh, the Republican Party can decide to be either the uh, the party of uh, limited government and personal responsibility or conspiracy theory. And it's like for one, like it's you think the Republican Party is the party of small government and you know individual. Like, and, and, yeah, I don't know where you've been for the last twenty years, yeah. thirty years, forty, whatever. <laughs> but two, it's like once you start letting the left define your people in the first place, then I don't care what you want the Republican. It won't stand for anything. Like you've got to punch <laughs> these people in the mouth. And uh, so I guess it's, you know, you know politics is policy-wise, it hasn't changed. We're spending a lot more money than we used to, but it's become a lot more entertaining as people recognize yeah. that uh, you know just how to how to rewrite the, the proper way of playing the game. I couldn't agree with that more. <laughs> I I like I said, I think that for me, politics is. I think at the end of the day, what's going to help us is going to be the. Like, like what Malice talks about, the devolution of civic civil discourse, of, you know, cohesion, you know, the um, intellectual um, self-discrimination, self, not discrimination, self-segregation. Self -segregation. Yeah. Like, this is a good thing. See, because, you know, I'm from Alabama and I'm living in Florida. And so, like, if you're from Alabama, like... The, the the Scots landed down there and they they're very freedom loving people and a very wild people. And so it's just in my blood, not to mention, you know, I have the, the way I got I found Tom Woods was through a friend of mine who was like this heavy constitution guy. And then he joined the um, what's it called? Um, Sons of the Confederate Veterans. And then one day I was just mad and I was like, you know, I'm tired of all of this political nonsense. I don't want to vote for um, who was it at that point? I don't want to vote for Mitt Romney. I really like Ron Paul, but I'm not going to be able to vote for him. Can I just be an anarchist now? He was like, oh, you can be an anarcho-capitalist. 
And that's the first time I ever heard that word was my friend being like, you know, you, here's what you're allowed to be when it comes to anarchy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, and you know, then it went to Tom Woods and, you know, things deepened in that pool. But what was, what was really funny about it though, is that guy, he went from the, uh, the guy who was telling me about Tom Woods and anarchist or anarchism and stuff to like, he's now like so much more to the right and is always arguing and mad at anarchists now. And I'm like, what just happened? How did that, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Um, what's cool. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say what's cool about Tom Woods too, is that although he also, he speaks to a lot of people who come from the right, like disaffected GOP would definitely like, be primed for the Tom Woods show. If you guys want to know something that you could suggest to them right now, that would be a great one. But also I came from the left. I, I considered myself a socialist and um, listening to Tom is what disabused me of that ideology. So he appeals across the board, which is again, if that's something that the LP is looking for that wide appeal, like they shouldn't be turning away people like Tom. Tom actually made sense to me. You know, and if, if he can speak to someone who was um, as as uh, abused by the ideas of socialism as I was, then he can have a great mass appeal if you would quit slandering him, you know, unfairly slandering him with these accusations. Are you You're right. You're like, yeah. you know, I know. It's, 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 it's interesting in, in that regard. And, and that's that's where, again, I get the, the you know, the, the more that. It's, it's, and I think that's one of the kind of interesting things where where politics is where you know it, it's something that's so baked into our daily lives mm -hmm. that you know it's we, we, we kind of take it for granted. But like the the, the you know during the twentieth, you know, like I, I'm, I'm gonna go on a, on a nerdy topic here just because it's, it's kind of been one of my things of, of late. Um, is that like I said when when Rothbard in, in uh, talks about politics in that like the 1800s, particularly the late 1800s. He makes this big point about how, like, you know, there was a, um, you know, the, 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 at the time, it was the Bourbon Democrats, were like a large, like, populist, laissez-faire, explicit libertarian uh, uh, political party. It was kind of like directly associated, connected to cultural and religious norms. Mm -hmm, like, the mm -hmm. Catholics tended to be Democrats, uh, the Baptists tended to be Republicans, and had to do a, pretty much, you know, did you trust the church to save your soul, or was it like a societal? You know, responsibility to save your soul. It's kind of like, you know, like, right. battle there. Um, and and so what it means is that like you're wearing like we were kind of brought up talking. We're saying like, well, you, you don't discuss politics or religion. Well, like in the time, like you know, every conversation I had touched on politics and religion. Like hey, your your entire community was grounded in politics and religion, right? And so you had very high levels of engagement politically by people, you know, by by the community. Right. And the 20th century came along, and politics became boring. Right, you know the the, the yeah. differences between the R's and D's became very brand named, affiliate associate. You know, we, we were told to trust, you know, political bosses. We were told to trust experts. You know, like your, your political engagement became you know voting every once for two years, and like you know what's the, you know and again and when essentially the people that running the show, the ideas running the show didn't change. There was no real importance of it. You had the growth of the managerial state, right? You know the the bureaucracy that. Democracy really doesn't matter. You're, you're, who you vote for doesn't matter anyway, because essentially the policies are going to be the same. You know, it's a non-democratic actors in DC. That's some of the worst ones sure. out there. Um, and the other thing is, is that you know, in the 20th century, you had the rise of like newspapers. You had the rise of the network news. Um, you know, this is going to the, the classic cathedral stuff. But like yeah. before that, though, like what's interesting is that not only did you have this rise of, of that as as the, the major mechanism of, of you know con creating consent, 
um, it was the prior stuff where like the newspapers were explicitly partisan, right? So like nobody was trying to claim objective truth. Like every your your, your news sources were explicitly partisan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now, like because of social media, we 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 got we've kind of you know gotten back to that 1800 style of politics. You know where you know, and this is where you know everyone's kind of freaking out. You know the the, the the all the people are concerned, right? Like oh, people are in echo chambers. And when they say that oh, people are in echo chambers, it's really just that people aren't buying the the the, the you know, institutions that you're supposed to trust, but they want you to trust. Right, yeah. right. And it's like that, now that's created that this this conversation where you're able to where where like politics is now built on, you know, being interesting, being giving people you know something to care about. You know where where you can now entertain crazy ideas. Um, yeah, you have ideas out of the out of the mainstream. Where we're really promoting something that's out of the mainstream. You know, right, you know, you know social media and Ron Paul aligned, right? And so like, you had this national you know, uh, uh, constituency rather than simply a local constituency, ground you know, mo organized by the ideas of Oxford economics, liberty, anarcho-capitalism. You know, all all the things that that made Ron uniquely wrong, even within the libertarian sphere, right? Right, uh, Andrew right. Yang is, is a similar example on you know being able to create a national coalition of UBI, Bernie Sanders, Democratic. So you know, so you know, it's not just a you know us thing. It's like now that's creating where like in Marjorie Taylor Greene, she has a national constituent because of like people that kind of like you. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, and again, this is really good because what it what it allows again, while politics doesn't democracy voting, none of these change things. What it does yeah. is create because politics is ultimately at its, you know in, 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 in most cases, particularly at the federal level, is theater. It's, it's that WWE yeah. aspect, right? Yeah, you're now creating characters on the game that are unique, right? You know, it, it's you know you have it, having a you know a a, a Q character in the, the the main arena of congressional WWE is like having an Iranian represented, you know, right? right? You know, like you, you we never right. have representation for the different ideologies that are well outside of that index card of allowable opinion yeah. uh, and it, it's the fact that we're, we're that again positive you know that we're, we're that stage allows for larger exploration of these ideas and all of that i, I think is where the, the you know that the ultimately where, where the it's, it's also the ideology that matters far more than votes or anything like that it, it allows for a, a the absorption absorption and the platform that sort of stuff uh, in a way that, again, I, I think is really interesting. I, I think there's a lot that is, is there that, again, it's, then this is exactly what has them terrified, right? Like this yep. is this, all, all of that social media, all the social media censorship, all that corporate trying, you know, in, in various forms, trying to, to uh, attack the radical on both the left and the right. You know, it's not, you know, um, uh, that I think is, is it's, it's that element of politics. That I think is really scaring people right now in, in the best way possible. It, it does, because when someone like Jimmy Dore is getting together with someone like Dave Smith, those are groups of people that people pay a lot of money to ensure that they stay fighting with one each other, one another, hating one another. And, you know, they're sort of realizing that the enemy is, you know, above their heads, not across the aisle from them. And that is a dangerous proposition for those in power. Well, when you're able to have like a, a Michael Malice and Alex Jones on Tim Pool. And mm -hmm. attract a million plus views, like you know, you know, right? And I mean, my, my wife and I, my that was that was a great experience for me because my wife had never seen anything from Alex Jones. Like she, she knew the name and she kind of, did, but she never watched like any real Alex Jones. Right. Wow. Yeah, so then we had Alex Jones going up there saying, oh, "I'm a gorilla, I'll kill you or something." Like you know, like we 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 we, we opened up a bottle of champagne. It was great. Like that was that was, that was, <laughs> yeah, that was the best meet that we had in a while. What a lovely <laughs> way to spend an evening. <laughs> Uh, you did mention how federally it's all political theater. And I feel like right now is just the 
absolute zenith of that. Have you paid attention to the impeachment stuff that's been going on the last two days? A, a little bit. I, I, I'm just so bored of the topic in general. I, I know yeah. Nick Fuentes has got a got a uh, I think a you know prime time uh, uh, thing here, which I, I, I you know I, I you know that that is again it's interesting the way that these people. The, 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 I think that the greatest silver lining of all this is that we've always had very evil, at least, you know, at least for, for a very long time, we've had very evil people in positions of power, but they've never been this dumb. Like they, they've never been this you know, lacking of self-awareness. Like, like and, and it's, it's a really a beautiful thing where like, you know, they're, 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 I can't think of anything more radicalizing than, than playing like Nick Fuentes, like in a mainstream, like, I mean, like this is, this is you know, it's like Nick Fuentes is having a presidential debate stage pro, pro podium. They're getting he's crazy. Like, you know, I've never done that. Um, if I were him, um, you know, but I, I, I've not, I've not seen a lot of it. I just, I find it so boring. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, and, and because I, I think a lot of people are, are saying the same thing. So, I will. I, I, there is one video that I saw, and it may make me a bad person, but I laughed. Uh-oh. I laughed so much, and I want to, I, I want to share it with you. So I'm going to play this. Um, this I, the, this is um, his last name is Raskin. He's one of the impeachment managers, I want to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he got up there. I think it was in his. This is from his opening, and he talked about. I'll, I'll just play it. But look, the, look at the crocodile tears. Just just watch this. Taking their own lives, senators. This cannot be our future. This cannot be the future of America. We cannot have presidents inciting and mobilizing mob violence against our government and our institutions because they refuse to accept the will of the people under the Constitution of the United States. Oh, man, it didn't even get to the good part. Um, but no, he, 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 he starts like, bawling, like, like, I mean, crying. I mean, that's like bawling, right? Like, I, I saw some tweets about that. Yeah, so it, he, he, so he gets to the point where he's talking about how his daughter was in the Capitol with him. And, um, she, you know, they 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 were like, you know, they, they thought they were sending their last tweet, their last tweets ever or last messages ever. And it's all this like <laughs> very clear fake crying. Like, I don't I, there's nothing about that that was particularly believable to me, which is why I laughed. But, why didn't anybody but, give him shit for touching his nose like 40 times while he was talking? <laughs> <laughs> but he goes, he goes. And I asked her, I told her, you know, next time you come to the Capitol, um, it's not going to be, it's going to be safe. It's not going to be this way. And she goes, I don't, I'm not going to come back to the Capitol dad. And he goes, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just laugh because it's like, I don't think it's ever been more clear in the history of American politics, how full of shit these people are. Well, it, 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 like the only thing to, to the, only way possible, I think, to make your average Hill staffer even more obnoxious is now give them the same, the, the same like moral righteousness that comes with perceived victimization, like David Hogg has, and that's exactly oh, what January six is done. But I will say that I, I, to, a, a little bit of uh, my, my one point of disagreement might be with you, though. Is I, I don't think this is an act, and, and, and I, I, think this, I think this is important because I, I you know, I've, I've, I worked on the Hill for about three years in the Financial Services Committee. I, I, I still see some people that. Uh, I used to be colleagues up there. Um, I really think for these people, this event really was really, really made them feel unsafe yeah. in a way that they never have. 
before. But don't you feel like good? They're up. They're overplaying it some. Perhaps, but I, I think these people have. I, I think that you're you're dealing with a bunch of out of touch, Weak. entitled people. Because mm-hmm. again, I'll, I'll say being around them, I, I think they genuinely, for for one, like they they actively despise most of America anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't think of it as terms, but you, you know that that that's exactly you know it's the Hunger Games sort of aspect. Yeah, they're, they're, they they live in a very they live a very privileged, isolated life in D.C. They think that they're doing very serious work. They think that because they're doing very serious work, they're far more intelligent and civil-minded than most of America. They think that their contributions are not properly appreciated. They think that they are un- uh, uh, underpaid. Um, and they think that, oh, they, they already hated Trump. They hated the you – know, and, and so this moment, I think, made them feel fear. And I think that it, it – we're, we're already living in a society that subsidizes victimization complexes anyway – I think that they really did see this as a genuinely scarring. When, when they compare this to 9/11, I think they are being 100 percent good. But see, this is the beauty of it, though, because like the, the the divide, the isolation between that group of people and the rest of America has never been bigger. And again, and, and, and when you combine it with the fact that these people have never been dumber, <laughs> that is where I think again you're you're, you're building up into where you have. Where the, the, the regime has never been weaker. And, yeah. and this is what gets you. This, this, this is how you get to an inauguration where BC looks like a war zone full of soldiers that they don't trust with their own guns. Mm-hmm. Like, that is, yeah. how, like, this, this, this is never, like, this is, this is, that, that is extreme. Like, that is such a, a jarring picture. And I, I think that this is why this is why this moment is so weak. And, and like, now, again, like, I can now get this close to the larger, you know. When I when I go around, and I say the federal government hates you. Republican voters like they they there's no pushback at all. Like they're like, yep. yeah, right, great, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad someone's saying it, right. When I said we have to be will, we have to we have to be willing to have like our local law enforcement push back against the FBI if they come here trying to raid Trump. They 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 don't even think you're you're like they're like oh yeah they're like, thank you for speaking out about it. And like that is where because like, that that divide has never been greater. And that again is it's they they've never been weaker because of that. Well, and it's it's funny. It's because there's, I think one of the things that annoys me, in addition to, like I I do think that even though they may very much believe that it was their nine eleven, I do think that they're playing it for the cameras a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, politics is, is is Hollywood for ugly people. <laughs> but um, and the L, and don't don't even mention the LP when it comes to that. <laughs> that's a that's that's another step down. <laughs> <laughs> I think that face means Cam, you're being too mean right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm still angry about Spike Cohen's nipples, to be honest. How that are you? Highlight the whole campaign. It really, and that well, says well, something, that. doesn't I, it? I, at least, at least you saw Spike Cohen with, with various different states. You know, you know, you know, you know, I saw him in a suit. I saw him without a shirt. You know, so you saw very. Joe Jurgensen ran a campaign for like what six months, and it was like the same screenshot, the same headshot for yeah. everything she did. <laughs> she was doing an interview with still the same headshot. I didn't understand how that was even going on. It was really weird. How she can yeah. be giving a live interview in person and it still looks like the same headshot. Like <laughs> she's laying disassembled in a parts warehouse somewhere. We all know this. But still, the funniest part of that campaign was when she went on to um, what's what's his name, Dave Rubin's show. And straight up asked him if 
she had his vote and he goes no and here are the reasons why and i was just like oh oh it's so good it's so beautifully embarrassing and oh but uh i don't know if you noticed this but uh, i don't know if you noticed it jessica but they officially announced the name the new name of um aunt jemima syrup no i hadn't heard about this I've been caring for the next generation. So they removed the, they, they like re- removing minorities from, from products. And I heard about that for part, some reason, yeah. um, but they changed the name. It, it's now like, it looks like a picture of a um, warehouse, a factory or something. And it's Pearl milling company syrup. Pearl. <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> Wow, so they removed the black lady from the logo and then called it Pearl. I mean, ouch. Sounds pretty racist. Yeah, it sounds pretty racist to me. Whitewashing strikes again. Yeah, geez. The, the saddest was- part about that is that Lando Lake's um, Indian girl, the artist that drew her is a Native American. He also drew the, uh, you guys m- might not remember it, but if you do the Ham's uh, Beer Bear, there, there was a brand of beer. It doesn't exist anymore. It's called Hams. And there was a mascot, a cartoon mascot, which was a bear. And he also drew that. But the artist, the artist who drew the Land of Lakes girl was himself a Native American. And so, like, you've just basically erased Native American art from the lexicon of America. And that sucks. I, I actually have a friend that I grew up with who is black. And when that came out all over his facebook he was so deeply unhappy because i think they're going to remove uncle ben too and so like he was like i grew up walking down these aisles and seeing these black faces and he said whether or not people think that that's racist i don't care i saw someone who looked like me on the aisles and that meant something to me sure and now what are we going to do it's it's such a weird bizarre we live in a weird world, man, where a picture of a black housewife is offensive. <laughs> well, it's like it's like we're living in ancient Egypt where we think if we just like strike people's names off of the walls that history will not remember them. But the Internet's forever, guys. We still have pictures of Aunt Jemima like that doesn't go away. So um, he actually bought okay. several with Aunt Jemima on it, and he, he'll still buy their syrup, but he Aww. pours it in the Aunt Jemima bottles now. <laughs> modern Tazo Car, modern solutions. I, I respect that. Yeah, yeah good for him. <laughs> that is Tradition- that, like, I, I was I was, I, I was always a, uh, like, uh, the, the Redskins thing was always something that that rubbed me. The, like, I, I, I was convinced that Dan Snyder, you know, he, he had enough. Like, that's the scary thing. It's like when someone like Dan Snyder, who has, like, legitimate FU money, and like loved like and, and hated. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that he kind of got it back in his own way. Like, oh, I'm just gonna call my my football team the football team, and you know, I'll, I'll let people figure it out from there. But like, but like that story is also interesting. That, you know, like it's like for one, I mean, Dan Snyder's an awful owner as well, and kind of a, a jerk. So like, he kind of gets gets what's coming to him fine. But like that story is kind of similar to the Aunt Jemima thing, uh, or to, to the uh, um um uh, 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 I don't even know where I was going with that. But like the the, the Redskins story was was kind of interesting because like it was also meant to. Um, celebrate, you know, a uh, the original football player, that or uh, the coach that that. But here's where things get really weird. It was, it was somebody who claimed to be 
uh, a member of the Sioux tribe or something like that. And so mm-hmm. they named it the Washington Redskins kind of in honor of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had like a very fancy, you know, like a very, very nice uh, thing. But it turned out like the guy actually wasn't. It was like stolen valor. <laughs> he was prosecuted for it and like so much went into his trial line that came out later it's like it was this weird thing where it turned out like no and that one looks really cynical but like no like it was done with the best of intentions <laughs> the guy just lied about it. you didn't know that the story so, just gets worse as it goes on <laughs> like, yeah so like it's just it's, it's yeah it's, it's a shame yeah <laughs> he he elizabeth warrened it <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Dead. Oh dear. So let me ask. Uh, one of the reasons why we did the rebranding and all of that is, you know, the Trump era, like like Malice has said, you know, Trump was the dam, not the river, and so everything that's flowing from this point is the people. It's not directly tied to Trump. There are a lot of people who did tie directly to him. But all of these feelings, Trump was an avatar to them rather than they did. It wasn't him. It was who he fought. And so that's continuing on. And that's that's a very positive thing. But, you know, we were Make Liberty Great Again, which I started the podcast in 20 at the end of 2016, right before he became president or won the election. And I wrote it for, for those four years, and then I hit it, and, you know, I, I um, slowly talked Jessica into coming in as co-host. But I started writing a book, and I was like, first, I need to move past being tied to a Trump statement, because that's going to go in the past. Also, mm-hmm. I don't want it to always be purely libertarian or political or anything like that. I love the name Make Liberty Great Again. It was just tongue-in-cheek enough to make me happy. Um, But I wanted, me and Jessica talked about it, we wanted to do something a little different. And we Mm -hmm. want to be able to go further than libertarianism. We want to be able to hit different topics, talk to more people. Um, But I was reading, I was writing, I decided I was going to write a little book. And I wrote the introduction. And I had one of those... um, recurring memories of that quote that's at the in, that's in the intro now which is from jack kerouac's book on the road and really what we've shifted to it's like what you were talking about earlier like libertarianism is radical so it attracts radicals or the weird people or the mad ones because outside of mm-hmm. our cliques and our you know subsect of humanity and political ideology we look like crazy people, but I've never met more thoughtful people and people who will think through ideas and concepts quite like I have people who have read Rothbard or mm-hmm. started out with, with uh, Ron Paul or listened mm-hmm. to Tom Woods or Michael Malice or whoever. And so that's kind of what I'm looking for is because I know you have because I've, I've seen you mention white pills before, but the show is about the mad ones. It's about the people who see that little modicum of hope in the disarray and in the the what looks like destruction, which looks like they're calling libertarians terrorists now because of the insurrectionists. But this is that's kind of what I want to do on this show. What Jessica and I have talked about 
is we want to bring the hope. We want to bring the, the ideas that can help someone move forward, who can help someone embrace freedom in their own life. And then by example, share that from that point, whether or not you vote, whether or not you Mm -hmm. care about politics. It's about personal edification. It's about being the example. And so since you understand the concept of the white pill, there are a lot of them out there, you know, the, um, the corporate media's mask dropping so swiftly and beautifully in the last few years, Donald Trump delegitimizing the office of the presidency. But what is something in your opinion is that little piece of hope that little, like if, if you could give someone a, a, a white pill to microdose, what would you tell someone is that, what, what would you tell someone that is important and that can help them find their way in the darkness of mm-hmm. COVID of tyranny? Well, I, I think one thing is for, for one, I, I mean, I, I, one of the things I, I love about what you said there and where you're, you're going with, with, with the show is that it's something I had saw Ryan's comment earlier is that it's, 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 you know, how you live your life matters a lot more than your ideology. And I, I think that's very, very much true. Right. And I think that, um, you know, one of the great, you know, we, we have a kind of, you know, by our, our nature, you're kind of self-selective in the fact that, you know, if, if you've gone, you know, if you went from like Ron Paul down to Rothbard rabbit hole, right, that shows a, a, a gumption, it shows a, a degree of intellectual curiosity that's, that's important. And, and I, you know, that, that, that itself demonstrates the sort of skills that are important. Because, I mean, you once you start realizing, and I think that's one of the things that it can be, that has been very depressing for a lot of people, right, is that, COVID showed the degree to which so many people are willing to just kind of go along with what they're told. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the good thing is, yeah, I, I think history is very, very useful in this regard because like historically, like this, this has always been the case that this is not new per se. This is not normal. Um, you know, we, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, we, you know, we, you know, that it goes to the whole, I like, the, the 3% sort of idea of the American revolution. Right. You know, yeah. it, it, it wasn't a mass, popular movement of, of like everyone just you know said oh we're gonna you know we're gonna take on the british and now like it, it's small groups of people that end up you know pushing a bunch of you know you know when malice talked about the importance of the npc meme right like there's a lot of people that are just they don't have you know that, that you know they, they, kind of, they kind of just go along with the programming right mm-hmm. um and and so once you start recognizing so so for one like once you start recognizing that the the tip you know that that a lot of these people are not falling for the typical programming um that you you know that that that's a good thing i think the normalization of um you know the economic side of it is very rewarding um you know, there's a lot of those kind of larger you know trends that are great one of the things i've personally found very beneficial is the degree to which you know i you know i, I one of the things I, I, i've seen within the, the movement you know for the you know, whatever 10 plus years that i've been at it is that we typically um, view ourselves as, as as disconnected from our neighbors, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, I think a lot of people have that frustrated, like, oh, I'm loving them with a bunch of sheeple sort of stage at some point yeah. in your development, right? It's like, oh, why, why don't sure. you understand liberty good, right? Yeah. Okay, fine, I understand that frustration, fine. Um, you know, but there's something to be said about the fact that you know, once you start identifying the common ground that you have with your neighbors, even though they don't, they're not libertarians, Mm-hmm. Uh, that is something I've, I, you know, the, you know, part of it is, you know, the last, you know, a little over a year ago, I, I moved back to Panama City from Auburn, um, you know, where I, you know, I was able to do, you know, work remotely now from the Institute, got married, 
that kind of changes things a little bit for me. Congratulations. Uh, thank, thank you. I'm, very, I'm a very lucky guy. Um, mm-hmm. They, you, you being able to, to settle those roots and to have people in my community where they, you know, they, they, for, for one, one of the advantages we have, for example, is that, you know, if, if you simply can, can make sense of the world, the crazy world we're living in, people, people, and you're, you're able to articulate it and you're able to speak with authority and you're not just kind of pulling stuff out of, out of, out of your rear. Um, people start looking to you, right? And that's, that's, I think, a very good thing. It's a way of, of making your opinion matter exponent, you know, more than, you know, it, it, have a larger impact when people start looking to you for advice mm-hmm. like they don't even, because at that point they don't even necessarily have to understand all the work that you've gotten you know, they don't have to show the work if they just trust your opinion on it that's very good and and one of the things that i've, I've personally found very interesting is i've gotten very big in my local history mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. i think it, it kind of goes to the the, the the controversial jeff dice quote right you have blood and soil so it matters to people yeah. like it or not uh you know where you have blood and blood soil whatever so that the controversial one I, I think there's a tremendous amount of truth there where, you know, people take pride in where they're from. People take pride, you know, and particularly in a place like Panama City, right, where you have a lot of people that have been there for multi-generations, right? D.C. is a little bit different if you move to D.C., right? It's kind of a different, yeah. different perspective there. So there's some states sure. that are – and it's like one um, – um, you know, one of the things I, – I, one of the ways of being able to build on this period and to use it in a way that can raise your – your 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 how the way that people see you and to make be, being able to make all of this work in the, in the liberty movement matter in your community i, I think and, and leading my example is, is taking the time to to learn your local history and to be able to talk about it in ways that matter and there's so there's so many different ways of doing it now you know you, you can you can you know create a, a podcast or or even just post it on your facebook page and things like that and and, and the fact that you have so much untapped interesting stories out there because i mean if you, if you, if you don't live in a big city um then chances are you, you could spend like five hours going down like you know you know the equivalent of wikipedia rabbit holes i don't know how many, how many good wikipedia pages there are about small towns and wherever but like the equivalent of that and you instantly know more about your small town than 95 percent of the people in your community easy right and, and they said you and, and and then you start posting and start using this and and people start you know, identify and, and, and that 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 makes people you, that, that raises your social capital in your community hmm. in a way that matters because the people are people are looking for with all the things people people are looking for people that they can respect and that they can they can rely upon and i, I think at this moment there's so there's so much you know we're, we're in a period where people are recognizing the corrupt institutions of the 20th century that were the product of the progressive era and and, and have failed us in so many ways that the reaction is, you know, what we're going to see is not simply those institutions being torn down, but new institutions, you know, filling their place. Mm-hmm. And we have the opportunity to be those institutions within this moment. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. that, that, that is, it's something where, like, I, I think that when people, if, if people get that and, and, and they recognize that it's, it's, it's obtainable to be one of those institutions within your community, I think that it, it really, you know, it, it opens up so much that can be done and, they, I've been so fortunate with the, the, the people that I've been able to surround myself with the, the last year and a half, and my you know has 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 made you know has, has been so good. Um, and again, particularly in, in you know we've been very more, a lot more fortunate than most in this last year. But that's something that you know I, I hope that more people kind of take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because like our, our ideas, the, the, these, the ideas that we have matter, not simply because, you know, we're, we're, we, 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 we can you know, dunk on people on Twitter and things like that. Like these, yeah. these ideas matter to build good societies, to build mm. civilization. Right. And, and, and it is, it's not just government. It's not just government at all. Uh, uh, right. It, it is, it's, it's civic clubs, it's civic organizations. It's, um, um, churches, churches, it's, it's churches, it's fraternal organizations, it's, it's, it's charities, it's businesses. Yeah, because particularly it's like, because one of the things I think is, is being so vivid right now is like the, the amount, and this is where a lot of libertarians make mistakes that we get so narrow, we get so focused on seeing things purely from a government perspective that it blinds us yeah. to the corrupt aspects of corporations. I think that's one of the biggest issues like libertarianism yeah. Inc. And, and, and it, it get kind of, you know, clouds the big tech issue. And like, oh, well, I guess a private company, they can do whatever they want. It's like, like to some extent that's true, but like we shouldn't be praising them. Like the, the, the Kano crowd like really gets off and like, like they, they, they're like really excited whenever uh, a Facebook takes down some, you know, the, some, yeah, not Alex Jones type, right? It's like, that's not a good yeah. thought. That's, that's, that's illiberal. Um, you know, okay. it, it's not just government. Like it's, it's all these other institutions that are, are, have been responsible for. Because I, that's what I'm, uh, you know, and I'm sorry. This is going a long winding. You know, a lot of my, my answers have been. So it's a long winding. <laughs> I hope I'm, I'm, I hope I have, have come close to glancing what you what you're getting at with your question. But like one of the biggest changes that I've had personally uh, beyond my my uh, absurd uh, uh, fondness for for democracy this past year has been the recognition that liberty is not an individual right. That liberty is a collective right, and and what I mean by that is that you know if, if you know if, if you just say like oh I'm a sovereign man and you're living in you know North Korea right it doesn't really matter like just, they're gonna kill you you know you you, you have to have you, you society has to respect liberty for those rights to to be protected and mm-hmm. that's where like those institutions that are not just government but it's it's an it's, a, it's an education system ideally private right. That 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 teaches people to be self sufficient and 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 you know, rewarding. It's it's businesses that that recognize the importance of the the beauties of free enterprise and don't try to destroy their competitors for political ends. It's it's charities that recognize the community has the respect that that if they don't take a take up the responsibility of taking care of the most vulnerable, that it's going to lead to larger problems and that the government's going to try to fit in. It's all these sort of things. Um, um, and and you know, we, we, you know, if we have this massive change where we have this, because that's what the 20th century did, is that it, it it created such a consolidation of the what had been civil society into the state monopoly, you know, monopoly on so many things. And you know, now that we have this period of disruption and decentralization, like it or not, um, other things have to fill that void. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's a, that was a long rant. So uh, no, hopefully, there's some, well, something something valuable there, but. Uh, well, that I is something so. that, that I've talked about in the past as well, which is like when when a lot of these different things were happening, like the riots, like, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of big things that happened. And I I I keep kept hearing people talking about how Joe Jorgensen needs to be president mm-hmm. or this, that this political, this, this political, that. And I'm like, no, right now, when it comes to police, we just need one group of guys with the balls to start a private security company within yep. their own neighborhood yep. Yep. and and start a case study on how it can be voluntary, how it can be free, how it can be the community take, taking care of itself. That's all we need. And yep. so one of the points that I've, I've spoken about in the past is like economics are important. I fully agree with that. It's good to understand these things, 
But if you talk to people and start with the national debt, you're not going to get very far. People respond like you were talking about learning about your your town, looking into these stories. People respond to narrative and story and morality Mm -hmm. far quicker than they ever do politics or policy or, oh, you know, we're bankrupting our grandchildren. People don't most people don't can't think that way. Because for one thing, they have credit cards and think it's free money. So so why are we talking about something that's way more massive and way harder to understand instead of going, well, you know, it's wrong to kill children. <laughs> or telling telling like one of the things that I've done in the past is I told uh, the story of Waco, told the story of Ruby Ridge. I told mm-hmm. the stories of when government did horrible things. And I think that when you start to break into the zeitgeist through narrative, music, film, if you do it well, if you don't know how to make a film, don't fucking make a film. <laughs> but beyond that, oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm very passionate about that. Clearly. Uh, but but if, you, if you can break into culture rather than into politics, you're going to go a lot farther. So all that mm-hmm. to say... I agree with you. (laughs) Your political view should be the least interesting thing about you. Yes. Yes. Well, and and there are a lot of people who don't understand libertarianism as a purely political ideology. Like it, like libertarianism speaks to politics, speaks to the state. Everything beyond that, like you need more. Like if I'm a Christian, that's what I go to. Some people go to objectivism, you know, name what you what you need in your life you need a moral framework people need the moral framework and so there are so many people that go oh i'm a libertarian and that's encapsulates them completely and i feel like that's so that's such a bummer am i wrong is that not a bummer it's kind of a bummer yeah i think people have a hard time describing themselves without those labels and they that's why they get so emotionally attached to them and so if someone who comes along who's not just like them uses the word libertarian, it can be very, um, cause a lot of personal cognitive dissonance. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you, I would just say, try not to let your personal emotions get wrapped up in your political ideology as best you can. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing is you need to be able to look past politics, which in most cases is looking past the darkness, which is looking into the light, looking into the good things. Mm -hmm. And there are just, did your phone die? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, But yeah, so the white pill, one big one is learning that you don't need the government to be wealthy, happy, to, to be free. And I think when voluntary, like, Libertarians tend to hear the word collectivism and forget that when we talk about collectivism as being bad, there's the royal um, mandatory (laughs) in front of it, the forced collectivism. Like voluntary collectivism is a human need. Community is a human need. And so there are so many, so many things that we can connect on Mm -hmm. that we're not. And I think that's a tragedy. I agree. And, and that's where I, 
I, I think that there's there was a, the the you the whole debate over like thickism and th- thinism like in terms of libertarianism. And I, and I, I think that the, the two kind of created characters of the other were like on the yeah. one side, the, the, like thick became to be hijacked. We're like, like, okay, well, like if you aren't, you're accepting of like any, you know, moral view, if tolerance of everything entirely, right. Then, then, then you're a brutalist. And then like, there was like, Oh, like, like all you need is kind of is libertarianism as a thin philosophy is kind of all you need. like, and, and no, it's like, you, you like, we're all, Thick, right? Right. We, we all have our, our views are not simply our views in relationship to government. Right. Our views yeah. are far. Th- are you, are you, and, and if they're not, like I think that's because the, the one thing is I think that there there is a tendency for some people that like they they their greatest pride becomes their ideological consistency. It's so very protective, like you know, and, and it's 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 and as I said. It's, like I can, I can just you can kind of see like the way that people interact and how how defensive they get mm-hmm. about anything. And it's and, and it's like because like they, they like this has become what sets them apart. Yep. And I can like they they view like oh how 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 anti state anti authority authoritarian they are, and and that's that's their view. And it's, and it's like that's that's better than being like a raging state. It's better than being a like there's much worse thing you can be. But I, I think that in terms of getting other having built being able to build that large community around it you need more than that like you, you have to have more common values and simply what your view of government is and it's yeah. funny that all this goes direct directly to like some of the the hoppus the the, the hub hub community stuff that became so radical and dangerous like you know he, I, I, my, as, as a landowner now as a property owner and, and head of, I, my, my appreciation for the bad neighbor problem <laughs> changed significantly now sure. that yeah yeah <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah i think that it, people always, whenever I talk about white pills, people are like, wow, you know, you talk about some depressing stuff. And it's like, yes, because that's the contrast to the fact that we don't have to live in that. Yep. There yeah. are ways out. There are little ways to to edify yourself, to make your life better. It's like, for some reason, Jessica took my advice to be a helper. That's a great thing to be. It's like, if if you care about life, if you care about people you know put some legs on it do it and it's it's hard it's it's rarely easy but at the end of the day you you find out whether or not you actually want to have kids you know (laughs) one thing i wanted to mention very small thing you mentioned threepers and there was an article that came up on twitter about chris pratt his brother is apparently a sheriff's deputy and there was a picture of him with like a gun rack and it had the, the three on it for the 3%. And so now they're trying to cancel Chris Pratt for his brother being a threeper, which is an far right extremist thing. He's too beloved. They, they, yeah. I mean, thank God. I mean, like, Chris Pratt is just, I mean, he's, he just, he, he's so good. They, they, all all of the, the attacks on him uh, have just been, Shows how, how horrible pop culture has become. But, but they, they did this before. Uh, uh, in, in last April, during the NFL draft, the Patriots drafted a kicker that had a 3% or tattoo. Sports media is so leftist dominant. Uh, there, there's a few people I know, on, uh, I've, I've gotten to know in the industry the last couple of years. One of, one of them is actually a Mises U alum. He said something in a podcast where I was like, ooh, okay, I'm, I'm just going to 
follow on the Mises Twitter accounts to see that he, he responded like just like I was hoping he would. And so we've gone back and forth. So it's great. But like the, the sports industry is just so love dominated in terms of, of writers as everything else is. And so they may say, oh, what, uh, a Patriots draft white nationalist kicker? All because he, he had a 3% tattoo. And it's like, right. this is just such, like, I just, it's, it's all, and then the guy got it removed and then he missed like, like two kicks and got kicked out. <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> Oh, no. I feel real bad for him. But he got to say, like, it was a big old, like, arm tattoo. I feel like it was awful. But, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's just a shame. I mean, it's, any, anything that, I mean, I get it. But it just goes back to that topic. You know, we had early, earlier. If anything that's interesting, uh, is that explicitly left wing is going to be made into white nationalists, white supremacists, whatever the, the most effective slur is at the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I, I think... Uh, Jessica needs to sleep so she can take care okay, yes. of that baby in the morning. Yes, uh, I really we, appreciate it. Before we wrap it up, um, there was this video that came across my feed, which was a um, it was a court date on Zoom, and one of the lawyers had a filter on his face, and I, I need Jessica to see this, and I know yeah, it's enjoyable, but check this out. I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Uh, You might want to uh, take a look. Can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. I'm here live. I'm not a cat. <laughs> this sounds like cat talk to me. <laughs> oh no! I, I, I'm surprised we haven't had more. Well, today, today um, uh, there in a, in a house committee, there, there was a, a member did a filter like his face was upside down. So, so, so we, we so I, I don't know what it, I, I, I don't know. I was on Zoom. Maybe, maybe I guess maybe they're newer like that. But, but I'm, this is very good. Boomers plus uh, plus technology is going to lead to more, more videos like this. Yeah, so. He said, he said, I'm prepared to go forward. And I'm like, yes, please, God, go forward as a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a cat. <laughs> uh, so with Wait. that little bit of sunshine. Um, thank so you. thank you for for coming on the show. I We, we tried it, before and it didn't work. Yeah. And let's do it yes. again. And yeah, no, I, I love this. Was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if you want to find Tho, you can go on Twitter and put in at Tho Bishop. Um, he also has a podcast called Radio Rothbard. I, I was there when one was recorded because it was at the Orlando Mises meetup, which is where we met. I don't know if you remember that, yes. but I was like, hey, <laughs> who's everyone's like, who's this this chunky bearded fat Thor? sitting in this meeting but oh <laughs> you can't have been the only one there <laughs> well the only one that has this beautiful of locks i mean oh fair enough fair enough um <laughs> but uh you also work for the mises institute which like i said is the intellectual powerhouse behind anarcho-capitalism libertarianism it's where rothbard did his dirty work where tom woods i mean Hoppe is tied to it. Like all of the greats. Is there anywhere else people can find you? Um, that's, that's where I do most work. I, uh, I need to do a better job of, of creating a website where 
all my any articles at don't go on Mises.org. Um, but you know, Mises.org, Atho Bishop. And if if you uh, anyone out there has not read Economics in One Lesson yet, you can get a free copy at Mises.org slash One Lesson. Uh, get a hard hardback book. We'll sip, sip, ship it to you and everything. Totally free. And uh, I've also been writing a video series, uh, uh, BeginEconomics.com. It's, it's kind of introductory economics. Um, but that was one of the projects we did last year. So uh, that's uh, right there. So that, those are some of the two projects we've been working on. Awesome. And uh, if you want to find me, uh, you, it's just at Cam Harless. If you want to join our locals group for just $2 a month, you can go to themadones.locals.com. If you want to find um, Jessica, a.k.a. Soupkin, go to, uh, on Twitter, go to at SoupCanarchist, YouTube, youtube.com slash themadones. And I don't know why you'd want to email us, but if you wanted to do cam at wearethemadones.com, you could do that too. Is there anything that you'd like to tell my piddly little audience before you go? Uh, no, this is just, it's been a good time. I would love to do it again. And uh, if, if, any, if anyone out there is looking for a free place to get away, uh, Panama City Beach is the world's most beautiful beaches. I will fight anybody on that uh, that point. <laughs> and if you do, please hit me up because I would love to have a beverage with anyone that uh, is a, a viewer of your show. Well, my, my family actually lives in Pensacola. Okay. But yeah, so whenever whenever I go visit them, we should we should hook up. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, I was over in Pensacola last week. It's, it's a great. I, I, I'm actually not spent a lot of time downtown Pensacola until last weekend. But that was a lot of fun. That was that was great. Awesome. Well, like I said, thank you for coming on. And to anyone that listens to this, I'm trying out some new sign offs because I didn't want to use the one from the old show. Dear audience, <laughs> do your best to live the life you want to live, how you want to live it. Yeah. Peace.